We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives, but the stories told by Jesus were meant to give us life. His stories were called parables. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11, and uh, we'll get there here in just a second. Um, but we are in our sermon series called The Parables. And so I hope over these past couple of weeks, uh, you have been enjoying and understanding the parables that Jesus spoke with and that he taught these powerful heavenly principles through this earthly understanding. And so I want you to know and understand that Jesus speaks to us in this exact same way. He wants to teach us in the exact same way of what these parables were. And so let me ask you, how many of you have a phrase that you say all the time? If you were to say, hey, describe Jeff Hubbard by the phrase that he says, what are some of the phrases that you say all the time? Kendall's already telling me one of mine. Uh, it's interesting that my kids can tell me the things that I do and say on a regular basis, but sometimes those phrases define us. Can I ask you, how many of you have said something not really knowing what it meant and found out that it meant something completely different later? Man, uh, can I help you parents for just a second? If a, a word comes out of your children's mouth and you don't understand it, Urban Dictionary is your friend, okay? Find out what it is, find out what it means, and then use it in the proper context and your kid's gonna look at you and go, I didn't know you were that cool, okay? Uh, you're welcome. So this is Fun Facts by Jeff Hubbard this morning. Uh, but let me share with you a couple of common phrases that, that kind of confuse us sometimes. How many of you have used the phrase, curiosity killed the cat? Okay. How many of you have no idea what that means? I want to enlighten you. Maybe you didn't use it in the right context. The original phrase warns against diving too deep into needless investigation. Any nosy people in here? Listen, all of you are, because if there were an accident on the side of the road, you'd drive like this to see it, right? That's just who we are, right? But understand, the first rec rec or this was first recorded in American newspapers sometime in the early 1900s and plays on the trope of cats. Have you ever seen cats just kind of creepily look around the corner to find out what's going on? Um, it plays on the trope of cats' nine lives to change the meaning. And so there's pleasure in finding out something that you really want to know. So here it is. Is it really worth one of your nine lives to find out the answer to the question? That's what curiosity killed the cat means. Uh, great minds think alike. Anybody ever said this? Listen, you are in for a treat this morning because I promise you it doesn't mean what you think. When two friends have the same idea, one or both of them is likely to pipe up with the common version of this phrase. And next time, you can retort with this extended version. The etymology of which is mostly unknown to put them back in their place. It's foolish people who think alike. Get that? Not great minds. Great minds stand alone that they are, are more likely to have the same banal thoughts at all the time. Have you ever heard the phrase or used the phrase that blood is thicker than water? 
Listen, we use it in the complete wrong context. We are saying that our family is closer than anybody else. But listen to how it's explained. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Catch that. It's the complete opposite meaning. People commonly use the shorter version of this phrase to suggest the familiar relationship that takes priority over friendships or other non-blood related bonds. But some scholars believe that that's not exactly what it would have meant when and where it was used throughout history. Instead, offering the longer phrase as a more literal translation, one that directly contradicts the common meaning, a chosen blood covenant provides a stronger bond than any family. Now, how many of you are done with that phrase, right? So when you think about this, these are two that I, I don't know, so I wanted to share them with you. Uh, some in the early service actually knew what this was. How many of you have used the term starve a cold, feed a fever? Anybody, am I the only person that had no idea what this was? Uh, I read this for the very first time and I was like, that sounds awful, Right? Back before WebMD, we had to rely on passed down, easily remembered medical advice to treat illness at home. The short version of this saying suggests that fasting is the right way to treat a cold. But a few sources suggest that the doctor who put this saying out into the world was originally misquoted. What he meant was this. If you fast during a cold, you'll be sick even longer. So eat. <laughs> Can you imagine all the kids that wanted to get better and they got starved and they got worse and now they're looking back at their parents and go, I tried to tell you I was hungry. <laughs> Last one, my country, right or wrong? Anybody heard this? Anybody use this? Okay, few people. Uh, this one is a direct quote by Carl Schorz and an American senator in 1872. The shorter, more common saying is often used to pledge unwavering support for one's country regardless of politics. But his full quote takes on a different sentiment, certainly lighter on the moral blindness. This is my country and I have a duty to steer it in the right direction is what he was trying to say. Now, I think this morning as we look at this parable, we're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer and then a parable. And so the reason that we read the Lord's Prayer together and most of you know that phrase and most of the time it's used within uh, sporting events or all these different places, but there's an understanding that Jesus lays out with this parable that's incredible for us to understand. So maybe this prayer meant something a little bit different and we wanna give clarity to it this morning. So the Lord's Prayer and Jesus' prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. To give context and understanding of what was taking place, Jesus was approached by his disciples. Jesus was in a place where he was praying and all of his disciples walked in. Have you ever walked in on somebody that was bowed and praying? It's a little bit awkward. You walk in and the first thing that you think is, are you medically okay? Why are you bent down and why are you slouched over? The second thing that begins to come to mind as you see somebody that's praying is, I wonder what they're praying about. I wonder what they're saying. I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder what's taking place. And so Jesus was in this posture of prayer and imagine that the disciples walked into the room, walked into the place where Jesus was. And he was praying. So I can imagine James and Peter and John going, shh, 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 he's praying. 
And as they sit awkwardly watching him pray, waiting for him to finish, they begin to kind of come to this thought process, this understanding. And so we pick this up in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. This huge understanding of going, I don't know what you were saying. I don't know how you were saying it. I don't know who you were talking to, but I need to know how to do this. So for some, when we think about, hey, I want you to pray, it's an awkward thing for us in the beginning stage. What do I say? Who do I say it to? How do I speak? What am I supposed to do here? So I think Prayer is this misguided understanding that's used in many different ways. I think for most, we kind of have this misuse understanding that if an ailment is taking place or something wrong in our life is taking place and we share it with somebody, they look at them and they say, okay, I'll pray for you. Can I ask you an honest question? When you say that phrase, the next morning when you wake up, you bow on your knees and go to the Lord and genuinely petition him on behalf of that prayer. Because I think how this is used now is a token good phrase of saying, I'll pray for you, I'll spend time thinking about what happened to you, but I'm not really going to go to the Lord on this. I think this is how it's used. So Thomas Watson has this quote, this understanding, if you will. And he says, there is a double benefit arising from framing our petitions suitable to prayer. The first is this. The reason why we want to do this accurately and correctly is this. Error in prayer is prevented. I think maybe some of our prayers are in an error mode. He said, it's not easy to write wrong after this copy. We cannot easily err when we have our pattern before us. Mercies requested are obtained for the apostle assures us that God will hear us when we pray according to his will. Listen, the fundamental error in wrong thinking about prayer is that it is primarily for people to get what they want. God is not a genie in a bottle that we get these three wishes in life. In reality, it's the unfathomable privilege of communing with the sovereign God of the universe. The one that created all of us. The one that holds this into existence. The one who allows the earth to spin at the perfect rotation for gravity to work and keep us on this planet. That's who we're talking to. So the disciples come and they say, teach us to pray. Teach us how to do this. See, for some, we think that this is kind of something that we just learn flippantly. But the reality is this, most of everything that is on this earth is learned. We have to learn how to do this. And if you didn't grow up in a household that actually taught this, this can be intimidating. When I bow my head, what do I say? How do I do this when I pray? And listen, 
for some, if you were asked to pray at today's lunch, you would go, nope, not me, somebody else. Because many people have not learned how to pray. So the disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray. Teach us how to do this. And so listen, this morning, if you've never learned how to pray, if you've never been in that position, or maybe you've forgotten what it actually looks like to spend time in prayer, today is your day. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Let's start with this first word, this first understanding that comes with this. Before that, we get to the fact that he says, when you pray. Do you know that the understanding and the implied meaning of that statement is that we are all praying? It's not, hey, if you pray, hey, if you get in a spot where you need prayer, it is when you pray. This is meant that we would all be praying. Now, if we were to do a blind survey... And to ask how many of the people in our church have spent an hour in prayer the previous week. I gotta be honest. I'm guessing less than 5%. You say, wait a minute. This is how we actively talk to God. He's telling them when you pray that this is implied that you would spend time in prayer. And the first thing that he says is Father. Listen, this comes with a lot of different context and I know this comes with a lot of different confusion. The reason that Satan's biggest attack is on the family unit in so many ways is because if he can take away the father element within a household, he can create this stronghold in your life. Listen, for those of you that have great fathers, praise the Lord. For those of you that have good fathers, praise the Lord. For those of you that have a horrible father and a horrible example of a father, I'm sorry. But God gives us this understanding that he is our heavenly father. Listen, he knows your needs Right now, I can tell you of both of my daughters that I know what their needs are. I know what their physical needs, well, I know what their wants are. How about that? (laughs) I know what their needs are. I know the words that I need to be speaking truth into them. I know what my 16-year-old needs to grow with. I know what my 13-year-old needs to hear. Why? Because I love them. I spend time with them. I know them better than anybody This is the way God sees you as his children. Listen, understanding him as our father, it settles a few things for us. The first thing that it settles, and I don't know about you, but when my kids were little and even to this day, it settles the fear for them. Do you know that they feel safe with their dad? Man, they feel safe confident that nothing is going to happen to them when dad is around. It settles that fear. I love the understanding that if things kind of get out of control, you know what the first thing that my kids do? They hide behind me. Like, 
Go ahead and take out old big boy first and get to me. Why do they do that? They know that their father is going to protect them at all costs. When you see God as your heavenly father, that he is going to protect you in everything that you go through, it changes who you're talking to. The next thing that it settles is hope. A loving father does not break his word. Now, to give fair understanding that as a loving father, sometimes my kids will ask me something and I'll go, we'll see. Anybody do that? Which just kids, if you don't know what that means, it's if all of the stars align and everything works out perfectly, then maybe it's going to happen. But, pro- but probably not. Thank you. The reality is I want to fulfill it. I want to do this, but maybe. But listen, I don't want to tell my kids that I can do something and not fulfill it. Do you know how crushing it is to a child when a father doesn't fulfill his word? Listen, the impacts of that live on and on. And God is telling us, when you recognize me as father, I settle the fear, I settle the hope that's inside of you. My kids look at me and know that what I say is what I'm going to do. Third thing is it settles loneliness. When we see God as our heavenly father, we know that he is always with us. He's always going to care for us and he's always going to be there with us. Scripture tells us in the book of Jeremiah that we will never walk alone, that we will always be with him. Do you know that one of the things that I can tell my kids is that no matter what happens in your life, no matter who's around you, you are never alone while your father is still on this earth. I'm the one phone call, the one person that you can talk to that I will stop everything in my world to love on you. This is who God is to you and to me. And we always have access to him. He's always there. When you begin to understand and see who God is, it gives you a proper perspective of what prayer looks like. Jesus, as he's teaching the disciples, he's teaching them, the first thing that you need to understand is who my heavenly father is. The next thing he shares is hallowed. This is to be set apart as holy. Look, the reality is sometimes in our world, sometimes my kids try to look at me as I'm an equal. And I quickly remind them, I'm not. Listen, the, the toughest part for me is my daughter asked me the other day, she said, Dad, will you go on a run with me? I was like, yeah, I got this. Do you know that we ran two miles and I couldn't catch up with her? And every ounce of pride in me, my legs are killing me this morning. Like, I just want to sit down. <laughs> Yesterday, my calf was so sore that when I walked, it hurt. I've never had that in my life. The reality is that we are to be set apart as 
holy. Look, in my household, there's a few things that don't fly. If you disrespect your mom or your dad, you better watch out. Listen, I'm not a kid. I'm not an equal with you. When you talk to me, it better be with a respectful tone. It better be with the respect and an honor. And listen, sometimes, and we're, we're in this phase where my kids do chores and do dishes and things like that. One of mine looked at me and said, I think the only reason you had kids is so you wouldn't have to do the dishes. To which I quickly replied, you doing the dishes in no way makes my life easier. This is the approach that we should have when we talk to our Heavenly Father. To respect, to honor, to listen, and to obey. This is how we approach our Father. Because His name and who He is, is holy. Then He tells us, and this is kind of the transitional part. Now we know who that we're talking about, and now that we know what we are to say. And He says, Your kingdom come This is a prayer that recognizes that everything is about God and his kingdom. There is no selfish ambition to this prayer. I think about how many prayers we pray. And I ask you, how many of you have prayed the prayer? God, get me out of this situation and I'll do anything. God, if you'll allow me to have no traffic. I woke up late for work this morning. If there's no traffic... I'm going to praise you for the whole day. Anybody pray that prayer? Listen. God, if that employee that drives me nuts will just call in today. (laughs) God, if you can just allow me to make a C plus on this test. Just... I'm not asking for an A. (laughs) I think somebody's prayed that prayer. (laughs) We look at God and say, God, if you'll do this for me, this for me, this for me, and God is teaching them, your kingdom is more important than my life. There's no selfish ambition. This means that we will be joyful whatever the Lord does in our life. And to say your kingdom come to the disciples is laying out there that this is a bigger thing than just you. When you talk to God, it is not just a request. It is a Lord, I want you to work in this situation. He tells us, give us our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision. Can I ask you kind of a weird question? Because I'm trying to figure out this in my household. When I pick my kids up at 3.30 in the afternoon, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, I'm starving. Dad, I'm hungry. Why do they save that for me? Why don't they look at their friends and go, hey, You got a Rice Krispie treat in that backpack? You know what they tell me? Dad, let's stop by Parker's. Dad, I just, I need a a fountain drink and a snack. 
Maybe we're going to eat at 6 o'clock. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Why don't they look at their teachers and go, Hey, I'm hungry. I'm the one that's going to provide it for them. Listen, we may be looking at the wrong people to provide for us. God is our Heavenly Father. Everything that we have comes from Him. We don't look to anybody else. We look to God as our provision. Listen, our food, our substance, all of it comes from God. The ability to work, the gifts and the abilities to do the job that you're working at comes from God. Do you know that you can lose your job in a moment? You can be incapacitated. Whatever can take place. And God knows those needs and he will provide. This recognizes that God provides everything for us. Give us our daily bread and forgive us. (laughs) Do you know what a daily task for us is? We need forgiveness. Every single day we need forgiveness. We are all in need of this. He is, and listen, he is the only one who can grant this. He's the only one that's capable of forgiveness. And then I love what he says next, and lead us not into temptation. Keep us from giving in to temptation. The only hope that we have is as a loving father guides us throughout our day that he avoids temptation for us. Listen, this is a far cry and a major change from some of the prayers that you may be praying. Because you may be looking at God going, give, 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 instead of God, lead me, guide me, direct me, protect me. Then we come to this parable that reiterates and gives us a a further understanding. I want to share with you a quote by A.W. Tozer. He says these words, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Can I tell you something this morning? If you're not spending time in prayer with him, You don't know him very well. God hears and answers our prayers. I love what James 5, 16 in the second part of it says. Realize the person that's writing this is the half-brother of Jesus. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not praying to my brother. And James recognizes who Jesus is and who God is in a powerful way. And he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Even when we feel like he's not there, our prayers are being answered. 
And listen, this needs to change because for some reason we pray with this, this attitude of this God doesn't even exist instead of praying with boldness, knowing who we are talking to. So we come to this parable. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8, and he said to him, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. Now, let me give you this whole context. Because, and can I give you a faithful understanding of what this is? I want you to set an alert in your phone, an alarm, if you will, for midnight. And when that alarm goes off, I want you to go to the three houses to the right of you and the three houses to the left of you. And I want you to ring their doorbell and I want you to knock on their door and say, hey, I need three pieces of bread. Everybody with me? And I want you to see what the response will be. (laughs) We do live in the South. It's a little bit more scary. (laughs) But how many of you will go, I know the police are going to be called. How many of you think that response from that neighbor is going to go, oh, you want wheat bread or white bread? Do you know what the response is going to be? The same response is in verse 7. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. My door is now shut. And oh, by the way, my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Hey, by the way, if you wake up my kids, there's going to be a problem. Do you know how hard it is to get kids to go to sleep, period? Much less back asleep after they think the day's begun? He says, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. He said, your friendship is not based on this. Yet because of his impudence, his perseverance, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Do you know what he's saying? If you knock one time and go away after they say, leave me alone, But the example is this. Hey, come to the door. Come get it. Hey, I need your help. Hey, please come. Similar to dad, 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 dad. Anybody annoyed? Our prayers need to be bold with perseverance continually talking to our heavenly father (laughs) now I did that one time he says because of his persistence realizing if he didn't get up this guy was not going away eventually his kids will be woken up 
We may as well give him what he's asking for. The understanding is this. For some, our prayer is simple. God, bail me out. And that's it. He tells us we should be persevering in prayer, persistent in prayer, continually talking to God as our Father. The next thing he gives us is the promise. He says in verse 9 and 10, he says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you realize there's three verbs in this passage of Scripture that say, ask, seek, and knock. These are actions that come with this when our prayers become this of asking God to align our hearts with his heart, with his kingdom, and seeking his direction, seeking where he wants us to go, and continually knocking until he answers. Then our prayers will be answered. The clarity is this. Those who pray with proper God-centered focus will receive what they desire. Listen to this. The selfish requests of the greedy will not be granted. So I ask you this morning, how are you praying? The principle is this. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, he says, and I love this understanding because it shows a little bit of sarcasm within Scripture. What father among you, if he asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent, a snake that could kill him? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Listen. A loving father feeds their kids, not gives them something that will kill them. And look. As funny and as humorous as this would be, it doesn't help. God is saying, I love you, I care about you, I would never give you something that would harm you. And the premise in verse 13 is this, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This if-then statement, if evil fathers give good gifts, imagine what good fathers give. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Do you realize that God is capable of far more than what we could ever even think or ask? But listen, it takes time for us to understand this. So let me give you a clear understanding of prayer. Why do we pray? Why do we stop what we're doing? Why is it that we stop to pray? Why is this even important to us? Can't we do this flippantly or casually or in our own way? And I tell you this, the reason why we pray is to recognize 
God as our heavenly Father. We pray to talk with the Father who loves us the most. We will have a hundred conversations with people that don't care about us, but the one who cares about us the most, we don't talk to. We pray to be close to God. There's nothing greater than when my kids and I are continually going back and forth and talking and enjoying each other's company. We pray to keep the right perspective to keep us going in the direction that he would desire for us, we pray to petition God's heart. So I ask you again, when you say that you are going to pray for somebody, is this the way that you pray? I think the reason that so many Christians are not founded in their relationship with Christ is because you're not talking to the Heavenly Father. How we pray. The model is clear for us. Pray in this way and it will honor the Lord. What if my prayers aren't getting answered? I get this on a regular basis. Listen, it it breaks my heart because I see people who are hurting and going through difficult things and I'll spend time and pray and say, God, remove that from them. God, take that away from them. My heart is broken for them. I know that in those moments, God is comforting that individual. He's caring for them. Listen, this world is difficult We are not a void of tragedy. We are not a void of things that are bad that are happening to us. But listen, we have a heavenly father that will hold us through anything that we go through. Think about it from this perspective. There have been times when my kids have been hurt physically, emotionally. And all I want to do as a dad is hold them and care for them and then go beat up the person that did this. But I think we've forgotten what it means to be loved by a heavenly father. Listen, for some, it's been a long time since you thought anybody genuinely cared about you. And God in his word is continually saying, I care about you as the greatest father that ever existed. But for some reason, we'd rather look to TikTok for videos or YouTube for answers instead of talking to our heavenly father who will reveal it to us. Man, I can't tell you how many times my, my kids have gone to friends for advice when if they would have just come to dad, I could have helped them avoid all of it. If your prayers aren't getting answered, continue to talk with God. 
Persistence is key. As you begin to line up your thinking with his, I promise you the time will be well spent. So let me close with this. You have a father that you can call upon at any time, anywhere, and in any situation. And I promise you what he gives is good gifts. And what he gives is sound advice. So I want to close this service a little bit different. The worship team is going to come forward. They're going to sing in the background. I'm going to ask you to do something. It's probably a little bit different and a little bit unique for you. I'm going to ask you to pray. So for the past 30 to 40 minutes, I've been preaching and teaching you how to pray from Scripture. But it's not effective unless we put it to work. Listen, for some, you've been carrying around so much, so much hurt and so much pain and so many different things. God is saying, if you would just come to me like a good heavenly father, and just lay that load and lay that burden upon me, I promise you I will take it for you. For some reason, there's this, this, this gap or this chasm. I'm just not ready to talk to you yet. God is continually standing there with open arms saying, please come to me. I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. He says, approach me in the right way. Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us our debts as we forgive those that are around us and lead us not into temptation. Maybe you're at a place in your life where temptation and sin have just taken over your life. And you need to stop and just pray and say, God, lead me away from this. So I'm going to ask you, as the worship team sings, to come forward to this altar and pray. To spend time talking to God. Listen, there may be a weight that's on you for somebody else that is just hard to bear. Don't feel fully comfortable with coming up here, but I'll tell you this is a step of boldness in your life. If you can't pray with a fellowship of churches, church, it's going to be even more difficult to do this outside. If you don't feel comfortable there, I would just ask as the worship team sings and the worship team plays behind me.
morning I ask you, as a church, it is time for us to pray. To pray that God would move in our hearts, that God would work in our families, that God would work in our communities. I tell you this morning,